Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Qalam is an organization that is dedicated to making Islamic knowledge accessible to everyone. Alhamdulillah, Qalam has been able to serve so many people all across the world in so many ways. And now, Qalam has the opportunity and the ability to take its work to the next level. Qalam now has the ability to expand its offerings to people all across the world in so many different ways. Qalam is acquiring a campus, a home, where we can continue to do the work that we do and in fact increase what we do. But we need your help, we need your support to make that dream a reality. Go to qalamcampus.com and donate generously. Every single person listening to this podcast benefiting from Qalam, I need you to go there and donate and share that link far and wide and let's all of us come together, invest into our sadaqah jariyah and take this work to the next level. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Now enjoy the podcast. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi ladhina astafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rusuli wa khatimi al-anbiya wa ala alihi laskiya wa ashabihi latqiya. Amma ba'd. We are studying the book of Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda rahimahullahu ta'ala Rasul al-Mu'allim in which he examines the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as a teacher. Generally before starting a book we introduce the author. However, today I won't be doing that because we had a discussion on the biography and life of Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghadda at the beginning of our previous series, Islamic Manners. So anyone who wishes to become more familiar with the author can refer to that session and, and benefit from it, inshallah. Today we're going to start off with the muqaddimah, with the introduction, which was written by the pen of Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghadda In it he highlights the importance of the subject matter, the background to why he chose this subject, um, where these lectures were originally delivered, and he also covers some brief methodology of referencing hadith and so on uh, in the in the book, in the introduction. Yes, I believe so. Let me see. Yes, this is. All praise is due to Allah Ta'ala who infused man with knowledge by teaching him the use of the, of the written word. Salutations and peace be upon his messenger and our leader Muhammad Wasallam and his family, companions, and those generations which come after them and which strive to emulate them until the day of resurrection. This book consists of a public lecture I had delivered in my first year of teaching during the academic years of 1385-1386 uh, of the Hijrah at the College of Arabic Language in Riyadh, uh, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, in response to a request made by this institution. It consists mostly of the sublime words of Muhammad وسلم, as preserved in the blessed and noble ahadith. My topic was the teaching methods of, Muhammad, of the Messenger as teacher 
because of its profound connection with knowledge. Ulama teaching, teaching and students. All four things he says. The reason why I chose this subject matter is because by understanding it, a person is able to understand and appreciate the strong connection that we have with knowledge, that this subject matter guides us to, ilm, how to approach knowledge. Ulama, scholars, people who carry that knowledge. وَالتَّعْلِيمِ وَالْمُتَعْلِمِينَ how do we teach the knowledge and how do we seek that knowledge? If we study the teaching methodology of Rasulullah all four of these are covered under that one subject matter. Yes? I subsequent, subsequently made many additions to it and included many important com, uh, complementary notes, uh, points. Both lengthy and short notes were then added in accordance with the demands of the context. This resulted in a complete book. I hope it will benefit the reader, educated person, and all who desire to learn from it. Rasulullah teaching abilities and activities were an integral part of his noble life. This handbook of training and teaching is therefore addressed to both teacher and student alike. There's benefit in this book. He says that there is a lesson to be learned by both students and teachers. And the reality is hopefully we all fall into one of these two categories or maybe both. That we're either students, we're teachers, or we're serving in both capacities. The message is very relevant and important. Despite several requests, I was unable to publish this book until now. I began writing it over 30 years ago. I do not know of anyone who has written on this rare and unique subject in this particular way. Final touches were added to it in order to perfect it. Many an action and book have been rendered incomplete out of a desire for perfection. All praise is therefore due to Allah Ta'ala for His grace and this wonderful opportunity uh, He has conferred upon me. So here he mentions an interesting point that I've been working on this subject for 30 years. This gathering narrations and just taking notes and as a teacher of hadith and as a scholar of hadith, Taking, paying extra attention to the narrations that had an educational element to it. So then he says that, um, just waiting for final touches to be made so that the book can be complete. Then he makes an observation, he says, um, that how many times does the desire for completion and greater cause a person to no longer be able to complete the project? You want it to be perfect and you want it to be great and you want it to be awesome and you want it to be amazing, but all that amazingness and all that perfection leads to injaza kathirim min jalil amal. It leads to those actions no longer moving forward. Amatat, it kills it. Those things don't come into existence. Kama amatat tarakhi wa taswif kathiram min farid ta'lif. Just as procrastination and delay leads to um, publications being left out, meaning because you're delaying it, you don't end up completing the projects that you have. So on one side you have people who are procrastinating and they're delaying, and on the other hand you have perfectionists. So he's saying that we just said Bismillah and went for it, right? And so this is that uh, that offering and this 
these notes of Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghuddah. Yes. I have divided the book into two. The first part deals specifically with a description of Rasulullah's noble personality, traits, and wisdom. The second part deals with his didactic technique, and I have endeavored to quote a hadith which are not only descriptive and explanatory, but also disciplinary and educational in nature. I have also quoted the source of each hadith. So there are two types of narrations. There are those narrations that, in, that involve statements of Rasulullah direct teachings of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa But then on the other hand, there are other narrations that he included that are more, that more involve the example of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa How did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa carry himself in this educational scenario? When there was a moment to teach people, what words did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa use? What tone did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa use? So he says both types of narrations are included. The six sources used are Al-Bukhari, Muslim, Abu Dawood, Al-Nasai, Al-Tirmidhi, and Ibn Majah. Therefore, when I have specified that a hadith has been related uh, by Al-Bukhari, I mean that it is related by him in his Sahih. Similarly, when I specify that a hadith has been related by Muslim, I mean that it is related by him in his Sahih. Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim, both of them wrote multiple hadith collections. So when someone says narrated by Bukhari, there is a possibility that it could be in any of his collections. Here, Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghuddah lays out his methodology. He says, when I say something is narrated by Bukhari, I specifically mean in his Sahih. When I say something is narrated by Muslim, who was again a compiler of hadith, I am referring to his Sahih collection that it is narrated by his Sahih. وَعَزْوَ الْحَدِيثِ إِلَىٰ أَبِي دَاوُودِ أَوِ النَّسَيِ أَوِ التِّرْمِذِ أَوِ النَّمَاجَ يَعْنِي أَنَّهُ أَخْرَجَهُ فِي سُنَنِهِ Similarly, if I say a narration is attributed to Abu Dawood, Nasai, Tirmidhi, or Ibn Majah, what I mean is that it is narrated in their, in their sunan collections, which are their very famous collections of hadith. وَإِنَّمَا طَوَيْتُ أَسْمَاءَ كُتَبِهِمْ هَذِهِ عِنْدَ الْعَزْبِ إِلَيْهَا اِخْتِصَارًا وَاكْتِفَاءً بِذِكْرِ أَسْمَاهِمْ عِنْدَ ذِكْرِهَا So he says that, I highlight this right now so we don't have to keep mentioning it again and again throughout the book, the full name of every collection. Rather they just say, رواه البخاري, رواه مسلم. So that way the student of knowledge is aware of where the reference is. Yes. As teaching methods are dependent upon the didactic needs. So then he also makes one more point. وَمَا نَقَلْتُهُ مِنْ غَيْرِ هَذِهِ الْكُتُبِ السِّتَّةِ سَمَّيْتُ الْكِتَابَ مَعَ مُؤَلِّفِهِ عِنْدَ النَّقْلِ مِنْهُ So he says, other than these six collections, if I narrate any other hadith, I will mention the mu'allif, the writer, the compiler of the hadith collection, and also which book it was in. Because if you say Dar Qutni said something, which book of Dar Qutni? There are, some, there are possibilities, so I will highlight that it was here. If I said Tabari mentioned this or Tabrani mentioned this, I will point out that this is which book it's in. So he lays out his hadith methodology at the beginning of the book. Yes. As teaching methods are dependent upon the didactic needs of a student, a single hadith may therefore reflect multiple teaching methods simultaneously. It could therefore be quoted more than once to illustrate a variety of teaching styles. This is what we call takarar. Muhadithun do this where they narrate one hadith in one chapter and then later on in the book, when another chapter appears, they'll narrate the same hadith again. The reason is because they're studying that text now from another perspective. Imam Bukhari is famous for this. Where he'll bring one narration in his Sahih al-Bukhari six times. 
or the same narration is repeated ten times. But each time he, re- he brings that narration again, he, he's doing it with a goal, with a perspective. And that goal and that objective of his to study the narration from another angle. What does this hadith mean here? What does it mean there? So they place the hadith in the middle of the room and it's as if they're walking around the narration, looking at it from different angles, trying to understand how did Rasulullah handle this situation. So now we look at that hadith again. So they bring the same narration multiple times. Therefore, if you remove the Muqarrarat of Bukhari, it's no longer such a massive book, by the way. If you remove the Muqarrarat of Bukhari, those repetitive narrations of Sahih al-Bukhari, it's no longer a massive book. It's actually quite a small book. We might even have a copy of it lying at the front of the masjid. It's a one-volume small book. There is a famous Tajdid al-Bukhari uh, that has actually accomplished this, where they remove the Muqarrarat, the repetitive narrations uh, in Sahih al-Bukhari, and it's, it's, it's an easy... Uh, read by the way. Yes. I ask Allah Ta'ala to make this book beneficial and to accept it from me as a good and pure act in His sight. May it inspire people to follow in the footsteps of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in word and deed. In this there can only be goodness for us. Allah Ta'ala guides the one who seeks His guidance. He is our sustainer. There is no, there is no other sustainer besides Him. The conferring of ability is in His hands alone and He has power over everything. All praise is due to Allah, the sustainer of the worlds, and salutations and peace be upon our leader, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his family and his companions. Shaykh Abdul Fattah Yes. Okay, now he starts the book. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Go ahead. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the teacher. Quranic verses... We start this subject with asking Allah that he allows us to reach completion, that he gives barakah in these gatherings. And that he allows us to follow the example of Rasulullah ﷺ. May we always be inspired by him. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continuously for eternity send his best and most dearest salawat upon our beloved Muhammad ﷺ. Yes. Quranic verses reflecting Rasulullah ﷺ being a teacher. The Quran affirms the fact that Rasulullah ﷺ is a teacher to the people and to all mankind. Despite his illiteracy and his life in a desert environment. Yes. Ala ummiyatihi wa sahrawiyyah. That other, besides the fact that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam himself was ummi, which means Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam hadn't received a formal education. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not know how to write himself. He didn't know how to read himself. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam lived in a community that was surrounded by deserts. There weren't no major, there weren't any major universities or colleges. They didn't have, um, you know, charter schools or private schools or private Islamic schools and all these things and tutors. These things weren't around. Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent him as a messenger. The mind of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was trained and developed by Jibreel alayhi salam directly through the guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you had the most superior of the malaika teaching the one with the highest rank among the insan. What a beautiful learning experience. And Jibreel alayhi salam is receiving message, his message directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the chain of knowledge is very clear and it's, 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 it's pure. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and this is an interesting point that sometimes the 
Situation may not be ideal, but if the student is sincere, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates a way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates a way. He says in the Quran, وَالَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا فِيْنَا لَنَهْدِيَنَّهُمْ سُبُلَنَا Those who struggle for our sake, we will guide them to our paths. وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَمَعَ الْمُحْسِنِينَ Allah is with those who are excellent. You ask yourself sometimes, that just five years back, ten years back, where you were then, do you think you would be here today? Many of us would say, no, I could have never imagined it. Ten years ago, I never thought that I'd be sitting in gatherings of knowledge or maybe you know, living where I am now, surrounded by the people that I am surrounded by now. It's something I could have never dreamed of. Those who struggle and strive and push and keep making dua to Allah, Allah opens up doors for them. Right? So now, a person who could have never imagined being in gatherings of knowledge, now that they are here, there are certain hukuk that go with it. Certain rights, punctuality, adab, being attentive, um, making niyyah to do amal upon everything that you learn. And what an amazing subject matter, we're here to learn how to learn. From Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Yes. Allah Ta'ala says, وَالَّذِي بَعَثَ فِي الْأُمِّيِّينَ رَسُولًا مِّنْهُمْ يَتْلُوا عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِهِ وَيُزَكِّيهِمْ وَيُعَلِّمُهُمْ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ وَإِنْ كَانُوا مِنْ قَبْلُ لَفِي ضَلَالٍ مُّبِينٍ Would you like me to read the translation? Yeah, read the translation. It is he who sent among the illiterate ones a messenger from among them, reciting to them his verses, purifying them and teaching them the book and wisdom, although they were in manifest error before this. So a people that were lost, misguided, who were involved in all sorts of social atrocities, who had strayed away from knowledge, become a tribalist society. That was their state. They were clearly misguided. Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent a prophet, not from out of town, someone, didn't, someone from Oxford didn't show up, someone from Constantinople didn't hitch a ride and come to Mecca and say, I'm going to do da'wah here. It was one of them. He sent among the unlettered a messenger from them. And now this Prophet begins to build this community. Ah, Rasulullah. You know, there's a beauty when you see someone's development before your eyes and you see the path of how they got there. But then there is a whole different beauty when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps that path a secret and just shows you the end result. And you're sitting, you're thinking, how does one insan have such phenomenal perspective? How does one human being almost know how to handle every situation? How does he know, where did he study? Which books did he read this from? Which lectures did he attend? Which university was he sitting at? Which shiikh was he sitting with who taught him how to do, how to deal with matters of zira, right? Who taught him how to deal with matters of of, of jihad and taught him the rulings of buyu' and zakat and taught him the rulings of mirath and taught him the rulings of uh, hidana and all these rulings like how, do, how does this person know all of this? Students of knowledge they you know they travel the world 15, 20, 30 years 10, 10 years it takes to get, a, to get a grip of your basics of Islam okay then after 10 years, you then spend another 5-6 years doing some takhasus, some specialization. 
By this point, you've read maybe one or two books of fiqh, a little hadith, a little Qur'an, studied a little Arabic. Now you've become, uh, you've gained some specialty maybe in one specific area within a discipline. And if you decide to replicate that again, another 10 years, another 5 years, another 10 years, another 5 years. And all of this is just to get a drop. These, this ummah, these students of knowledge in reality are lying with their face pointed up, with their mouth open, hoping that one drop may land in their mouth. And the source is a waterfall that is beyond any comparison to Niagara. If you think that's a big waterfall, you haven't seen the ilm of Rasulullah the hikmah of Rasulullah Everything he knew how to handle it, ananfanan, in that moment. How is this matter handled? Can you imagine an insan, a person, whose every statement and action is a hujjah, do you guys understand the responsibility here? The perfection required for a person's every statement and action to be a legal proof that people will argue and say, this is right and this is wrong because he did this here, he said that there. Rasul al-Mu'allim. Because his tarbiyah and his mentoring was done by Sayyidina Jibreel alayhi salam. Who received it? Nazala bihi ruhul ameen. عَلَىٰ قَلْبِكَ لِتَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُنْذِرِينَ بِلِسَانٍ عَرَبِيٍ مُبِينَ With a very clean message, Allah sends Jibreel alayhi salam with this, uh, with this revelation who drops it directly on the heart of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The amazing thing about the teachings of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam is that the one who stands far away has no idea the depth to them. They think, oh, it's just easy stuff. But the closer you get, you begin to realize, man, this is difficult. And you get closer and closer, not necessarily difficult, but it's not easy, in the sense that this is not two lines we have to memorize. There's so much here to learn. Thousands of statements of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Sahaba spent their life memorizing them, implementing them, teaching them. People gave their lives just to serve the, 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 the legacy of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As uh, I was sharing with uh, the brothers well, on the way here, there was this um, reciter of poetry who would visit us in England. He was very dear and near to our shaykh, rahimahullah. So every time he would come, the shaykh would invite him. He would read some lines of poetry. He was a very kind, loving man. Unfortunately, uh, he was assassinated, this uh, reciter of poetry. He wrote a lot of poetry in support of the honor of the Sahaba. And they were a group of people who didn't like this too much. So they decided to assassinate him. Shaheed, right? May Allah elevate his maqam. So he read one poem in front of us once that I remembered, and I wanted to share one or two lines with you guys. He said regarding Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he didn't write these lines. These lines were written by another poet. But he read them, and I heard him read it, and I, they really touched my heart when he read them. He read the line, Har koi bin ka alam kya hoga. That every person, har koi everyone is like, you know, willing to sacrifice everything for the Prophet of Allah, bin dekhe, without even seeing him. What would happen if they actually saw his face? 
ma ahsanaka ma ajmalaka subhanallah subhanallah he then said qadamum jabiko rehne do let my forehead remain at his feet i don't want to raise my forehead qadamum jabiko rehne do chehre ka tasawwur mushkil hai because i can't even dedicate effort to think of the face of rasulullah i'm just going to hang out here by his feet qadamum jabiko rehne do chehre ka tasawwur mushkil hai jab chand se badhkar edi hai rukhsar ka alam kya hoga when a person's heel is more beautiful than the moon how dare we even try to reflect over the beauty of his cheeks and his beautiful face ma ajmalaka ma ahsanaka subhanallah subhanallah iksimta ali iksimta umar bu bakar idar usman udar on one side you have abu bakar on the other side you have uthman next to them you have umar and 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 ali in jagmag jagmag taron mein among these twinkling twinkling stars mehtab ka alam kya hoga how amazing would the scene be of the full moon people look at abu bakar umar uthman ali just the image of those four standing next to each other it humbles the soul ah you begin to feel very small he says where these stars were shining in jagmag jagmag taron mein mehtab ka alam kya hoga you can't even begin to imagine what the state of the moon would be this waqt hai there's another that's another one chahe to isharon se apne kaya hi palat de duniya ki he's talking about the khulafa rashidun that they had such authority when they ruled that if they pointed a finger the roman empire would fall through one ishara the persian empire would fall apart chahe to ishara usse apne kaya hi palat de duniya ki ye shaan hai unke gulamon ki sarkar ka alam kya hoga if this was the honor and the greatness of his slaves abu bakr umar uthman ali who were identified as nothing other than that you can't even begin to imagine what the maqam and what the status of their master and leader was sallallahu alaihi wasallam कहते हैं अरब के जर्रों पर अनवार की बारिश होती है दे से अमंग दैंड पार्टिकल्स ऑफ द अरब लैंड नूर एंड लाइट इज कॉन्स्टेंटली रेनिंग डाउन कहते हैं अरब के जर्रों पर अनवार की बारिश होती है द कॉन्स्टेंटली नूर इज डिसेंडिंग ऑन दैट लैंड ए नजम नजम इज द नेम ऑफ द पोइट ए नजम नाजान तेबा के गुलजारों का आलम क्या होगा वी कैन इवन बिगिन टू इमेजिन हाउ अमेजिंग द नूर मस्ट बी पोरिंग डाउन एंड हाउ रिलेंटलेसली इट्स पोरिंग डाउन ऑन द गार्डन ऑफ मदीना मुनवरा इन विच रसूल सल्लाहिंग I think for the first time in my life I begin to imagine what the gathering of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam may have actually felt like. So here he quotes the ayah huwa alladhi ba'atha fil ummiyin rasulan minhum that he sent a a prophet not from outside the prophet didn't come in from Rome the Roman empire or from the Persian empire no huwa alladhi ba'atha fil ummiyin 
Rasulan minhum from among them. And those people as a nation were unlettered. But what was this Prophet doing? This is in Surah Jumu'ah, the opening verses. Yes, ayah number two. Continue. Allah Ta'ala says, وَأَرْسَلْنَاكَ لِلنَّاسِ رَسُولًا وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ شَهِيدًا We send you to the people as a messenger. Allah is sufficient as a witness. The job of a messenger primarily is to teach. It's to convey knowledge, right? So that suffices. That's the istishhad. The proof has been established through this ayah of the Qur'an too, of Surah An-Nisa. Yes. Then he quotes the ayah of Surah Al-Saba. Go ahead. Allah Ta'ala says, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا كَافَّةً لِلنَّاسِ بَشِيرًا وَنَذِيرًا وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ We send you to all the people as a bearer of glad tidings and an, and an issuer of warnings, but most people do not know. Mm-hmm. Yes. The Sunnah testifies to Rasulullah being a teacher. So the first chapter he had, the brief chapter was, the Qur'an proving Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam was a teacher. Now he goes into the second chapter. إِثْبَاتُ sunnati أَنَّ الرَّسُولَ مُعَلِّمٌ The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is a teacher. From the sunnah though. Now he's going to look at it from another angle. Yes. The pure sunnah also testifies that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is an insightful teacher. Hadith 1. Do you like me to read the Arabic or just the English? You can read the English. Ibn Majah and Al-Darmi narrate on the authority of Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As anhu, who said, Once Rasulullah emerged from one of his rooms and entered the masjid, he saw two groups of people. One group was reciting the Qur'an and supplicating to Allah Ta'ala while the other was engaged in learning and teaching. Rasulullah said, All of them are doing good. These are reciting the Qur'an and supplicating to Allah Ta'ala. If Allah Ta'ala wills, He will grant them, and if He wills, He will deny them. As for these, they are teaching and learning, and I have been sent as a teacher. He then sat with the second group. So the first narration, Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghuddah rahimahullah ta'ala narrates before us, is the hadith of Ibn Majah. Now, many of the ulama have raised objection to the actual wording of this hadith. The meaning is sound, don't get me wrong here. So let's, we have to differentiate between the meaning of a hadith being sound because it is further reinforced through other narrations where a similar message was delivered from another hadith and a similar message being delivered through another hadith. But when we look at a narration, we have to also look at it from the al-fad perspective that what is the authenticity of these exact words. Alama Sakhawi rahimahullah ta'ala while commenting on this hadith, he said, هذا حديث غريب that this is a غريب and ضعيف narration. I won't translate those terms because they're technical terms and translating them doesn't do much good. If you say a hadith is weak, someone's going to think that it's weak in comparison to strong, in opposition to strong, and that's a faulty understanding. So we keep it as a technical term. It is a غريب ضعيف hadith. If someone is interested in knowing what that means any further, you have to go study a Mustalah al-Hadith class. You have to go take a class where you understand hadith terminology. And then he points out why. But then he says at the end, after pointing out the hadith has um, some issues with the chain, لِذُعْفِ رَاوٍ فِي سَنَدِهِ هُوَ زِيَادُ بْنُ الْأَنْعَمْ الْفْرِقِي 
Then he says, However, the actual text of the hadith can be further supported through other narrations. Shawahid, there are other, there are other similar narrations that are narrated. When you bring them together, we call this like a scenario, that they collectively come together and get upgraded. They get upgraded to a higher grade of narration. Now, if you notice in the hadith, he didn't read the actual Arabi, uh, but if you look at the first part of it, he says, An Abdullah bin Amr ibn As radiallahu anhumah. That the hadith is narrated by Abdullah bin Amr uh, ibn As. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with both of them. Since we're talking about education, and specifically we'll be reading so many ahadith, I thought appropriate that we maybe uh, address a quick note uh, here. And this is the adab. The adab of making dua when we say the names of the sahaba, when we say the names of the great scholars that came before, showing our respect when we say the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when we say the name of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Imam al-Nawwi rahimahullah ta'ala, in the introduction of his commentary of Sahih Muslim, he says, فَصْلٌ يُسْتَحَبُّ لِكَاتِبِ الْحَدِيثِ إِذَا مَرَّ بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلُ أَنْ يَكْتُبَ عَزَّ وَجَلُ أَوْ تَعَالَى أَوْ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى أَوْ تَبَارَكَ وَتَعَالَى أَوْ جَلَّ ذِكْرُهُ أَوْ تَبَارَكَ إِسْمُهُ أَوْ جَلَّتْ عَظْمَتُهُ وَمَا أَشْبَهَ ذَلِكَ That's by the way a chapter heading. Inside joke. Okay? So Imam Nawi rahmatullahi alayhi, he points out here, that it is appropriate for the one writing hadith, that when they mention the name of Allah, they use the proper um, uh, language to show deference and love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when we say the name of Allah azza wa jal, we should say something of that sort, subhanahu wa ta'ala, azza wa jal, jalla dhikruhu, and then he provides so many uh, variations. At the end of all of them, the, the, the message is the same, which is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is superior to all, and that is acknowledged every, every time we say the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? He says, make this a practice. Then he says, وَكَذَلِكَ يَكْتُبُ عِنْدَ ذِكْرِ النَّبِي صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ بِكَمَالِهَا لَا رَامِزًا إِلَيْهِمَا وَلَا مُخْتَصِرًا عَلَىٰ أَحَدِهِمَا Similarly, when a person uh, um, mentions Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they should say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And don't use some short form where you just, you know, cut through it or try not to, uh, or, or taqseer ala, ala ihdahuma, which that means that don't just say alayhi salat or alayhi salam. Try to make a habit of saying alayhi salatu wa salam, the full thing. Then he says, وَكَذَلِكَ يَقُولُ فِي الصَّحَابِ and similarly, when a person mentions a sahabi, he should say, رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ فَإِنْ كَانَ صَحَابِيًّا إِبْنَ صَحَابِيٍّ قَالَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا When he says a sahabi's name, he should say, رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ And if he mentions a sahabi who was also the son of a sahabi, then he should say, رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا Huma means, may Allah be pleased with, with both of them. رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ May Allah be pleased with him. Radiallahu anha, may Allah be pleased with her. So you make the proper du'as and show your respect. He then continues. وَكَذَلِكَ يَتَرَضَّى وَيَتَرَحَّمْ عَلَىٰ سَائِرِ الْعُلَمَاءِ وَالْأَخْيَارِ Similarly, you should make du'a, 
rahimahullah radiyallahu an whenever you mention the name of great scholars or even people who were chosen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wa yaktubu kullu hadha wa in lam yakun maktuban fil asl alladhi yanqulu min fa inna hadha laysa riwayatan inma huwa du'a and then he says, وَيَنْبَغِي أَنْ يَقْرَأَ كُلَّ مَا ذَكَرْنَاهُ وَإِنْ لَمْ يَكُنْ مَذْكُورًا فِي الْأَصْرِ الَّذِي يَقْرَأُ مِنْ وَلَا يَسْأَمْ مِنْ تَكَرُّ رِذَالِكَ So he says that when you're reading a hadith book, or if you're reading any text, and it doesn't say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam there, it just says, Muhammad said. You should say what? Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If it says it's narrated by Abu Bakr, that... He asked the Messenger of Allah, what dua should I make in my prayer? And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, at the end of your prayer, say, Allahumma inni dhalamtu nafsi dhulman kathira ila akhir al-hadith. When it says there, Abu Bakr said, what should you say? Abu Bakr, radiallahu an. And he says, someone may object by saying, you are adding to the hadith which isn't there. Someone can say that, why are you adding to the hadith? Because when we're narrating hadith, we have to be very particular. So he says, إِنَّ هَذَا لَيْسَ رِوَايَةٌ إِنَّمَا هُوَ دُعَاءٌ this whole objection is foolish. Because no one is narrating, no one's adding anything to the narration. When you're saying this, radiallahu an, you're just making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلَا يَسْأَمْ مِنْ تَكَرُّرِ ذَلِكَ And don't become tired because it's exhausting to say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and radiallahu an and rahimahullahu ta'ala. وَمَنْ أَغْفَلَ هَذَا حُرِمَ خَيْرًا عَظِيمًا Whoever is negligent of this, will be deprived of great reward. Right? وَفَوَّتَ فَضْلًا جَسِيمًا وَقَالَ أَيْمَنْ أَيْضًا رَحِمَ اللَّهِ فِي كِتَابِهِ الْأَذْكَارِ يُسْتَحَبُّ التَّرَضِّي وَالتَّرَحُمْ عَلَى الصَّحَابَةِ وَالتَّابِعِينَ فَمَنْ بَعْدَهُمْ مِنَ الْعُلَمَاءِ وَالْعُبَّادِ وَسَائِرِ الْأَخْيَارِ Okay, now this next part I wanted to share. وَأَمَّا مَا قَالَهُ بَعْضِ الْعُلَمَاءِ that the statement radiallahu an should only be used after the name of a sahabi. To a degree this is true, it's a good idea because that way it helps the student or the listener distinguish between a sahabi and a non-sahabi. So if I said, Ikrimah radiallahu an said, now the student might think, oh man, he's a sahabi. When in reality, Ikrimah is, oh no, I'm not talking about Ikrimah bin Abi Jahl, he's a sahabi. I'm talking about Ikrimah the tabi'i. Okay? So Ikrimah is a tabi'i. So when I say Ikrimah, it's just a, it's an easy way to uh, communicate whether the person that's being spoken of is a Sahabi or otherwise. Regardless, Imam Nawi rahimahullah ta'ala points out, radiyallahu an makhsusan bis sahaba wa yuqalu fi ghayrihim rahimahullah faqat falaysa kama qal wa la yuwafaq alayh bal al-sahihu alladhi alayhi al-jamhur istihbabuhu wa dalailuhu akthar min an tuhsar. While the reality is, he says that it is permissible to say radiallahu an for other than sahaba too. You'll notice this um, when people say the name of Imam Bukhari. It's commonly after his name, what do they say? Radiallahu an. It's common. When they say the name of Imam Muslim, if you read some of the writings of the more classical scholars, after his name they write, radiallahu an. I think the practice is sound and it's good. The original practice, which means keep radiallahu an for the sahaba and rahimahullah for non-sahaba, it serves a function, and that is to differentiate in the mind of the listener, of the person, who is this person, you're identifying them. But nonetheless, it is permissible uh, to go uh, the other way around. Then he narrates a hadith uh, from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, where he, uh, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, one day entered the masjid, 
And there were two groups of people sitting, two halakhas. One group of them were reading Qur'an and they were doing dua. The second group of people were engaging with knowledge. فَقَالَ النَّبِي صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ كُلُّنَا عَلَىٰ خَيْرٍ Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, each of these groups are doing something good. So we're not saying one is better than the other or one is bad. One is better than the other, he's going to point that out. But this tafdeel is not at the cost of tanqis. Which means that he's not saying that one is better, that mean, meaning the other is bad. They're both good. However, These people are asking from Allah. So if Allah wills, He'll give. Or if He wills, He won't give. Because every request can be rejected. On the other hand, He said, These are people seeking knowledge and conveying it. So the promise from Allah for such people will be conveyed regardless. As long as they're sincere, the reward will continue. وَإِنَّمَا بُعِثْتُ مُعَلِّمًا And I have been sent only as a teacher. I translated only there because it says إِنَّمَا For those of you who are familiar with the Arabic language, إِنَّمَا is for حَصْر right? it, it provides that only part of the translation. إِنَّمَا بُعِثْتُ مُعَلِّمًا I have been only sent as a teacher. فَجَلَسَ مَعَهُمْ Therefore, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam stood with them. The truth is, there has never been a teacher greater than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. His teachings were not limited to one subject matter. A true polymath, one whose every word opened up disciplines and sciences, who inspired that one statement of his inspired people to write books and to dedicate their lives to understand each teaching of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. His words were not only an inspiration for a generation or for a community, but all generations and all times. The number of people that have benefited from his teachings can never be compared to any other human being. They don't even come anywhere near a fraction of his teachings. Millions and billions of people benefit from the teachings of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, who seek guidance from him, who seek closeness to him, who wish to imitate him, who wish to, get, to love him. That relationship is purely divine and a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the truth is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted, granted this level of love in the hearts of humanity till the end of times for him because he hit the mark when it came to eliminating his own ego and living life for himself. The more a person eliminates this, the more Allah takes care of their love and their reputation. When a person is worried about the reputation, Allah leaves it to them. <clears throat> Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he just erased himself. Just completely got rid of himself. And as a result of that, what happened? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took care of it. And people love Rasulullah and they're not even sure why they love Rasulullah. Right? You know, I, I shared that line, right? That people are in love with Rasulullah without even seeing him. Right? What would happen to those hearts and those people if they actually laid eyes on Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam?
Another point to reflect on is the fact that Rasulullah was sent to a very interesting group of people. Let's say there was a group of people who all had a great educational background. And these people were prime to be great students. They had access to a great university, they traveled across the world, they came to a lecture hall, and then Rasulullah walked in. That would have been different. Because these people were primed to be students. They wanted to be students. They wanted to be there. They wanted to learn. They, were in a, they, were, they wanted to soak in what he had to give. But Rasulullah wasn't necessarily only sent to that type of student. Most of his students that he came to had a whole different frame. Right? The whole, the whole framework, the whole mindset was different. He was sent to a people who became known as the people of Jahiliyyah who are known for having really rough personalities. People who are known for having hard hearts, who had very different personalities from one another. They were all very different. And if they loved you, they loved you. If they hated you, they would go above and beyond to kill you. They would fight wars for generations. Why? No one knows. Right? Because someone's animal crossed into the other person's uh, a lot. You guys know this, right? Literally. He crossed into the other guy's lot. This guy went and he slaughtered the animal. That owner came and said, you killed my animal. He killed him. He said, you killed me. And this family came after him. And bam. They're fighting for generations, decades to come. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam was said to these people. And then, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he begins to use his amazing Tarbiyah methodology. The Prophet ﷺ begins to smile at them and talk to them and show interest in them and educate them and empower them. And the hearts begin to soften. The minds begin to open up. They are now freed from the shackles of society and now fly with the malaika, engaging with revelation. Because that's what malaika do, they engage with revelation. Their hearts are lifted, these people have now reached a whole new level. And to the point where everything they stood for, they no longer believe in. The impact that Nabi wasallam. when I say everything they stood for, what I mean is the, like the evil things. And I'll give examples shortly. The impact that Nabi wasallam had as an educator and mentor was so profound, so phenomenal, that his oppositions understood it to be superhuman and said he was magic. He was, he was doing, he's using magic. They couldn't imagine a human being being so, so uh, profound in communicating and convincing other human beings. So they said what? Sahir. Right? This man is a magician because no insan can pull off what this man has pulled off. Rasulullah didn't have some billionaire, millionaire financing his da'wah. He didn't have any petrodollar pushing his word across the world. They weren't, there probably wasn't even a single flyer throughout his life. Not one flyer. Not one social media group. But the influence just, his words penetrated the hearts of people. 
Because what originates from ikhlas only leaves ikhlas in the hearts of people. What originates the heart, from the heart lands in the hearts of people. As for what starts from the mouth, it only makes its way to the ears, if even that. Most people won't even listen to it. When they're listening to your lecture, they put you on two speed, times two. All of you guys that are guilty of this, you know who you are. This is why I speak fast. So those of you that try to listen to me on times two, try it now. You won't get any of it. <laughs> now these people, you know how I said that they, the Rasulullah freed them from these shackles of society and what they stood for, what they believed in, in their, like, you know, the ills of society, they clearly saw them to be flawed. So what happened? These very same people, they now stood side by side with Rasulullah fighting with Rasulullah against their own tribes. So now, people begin to immediately say that Nabi is causing divide of people. But how is Rasulullah causing divide when the Qur'an can't stop talking about Silatul Rahim? Being kind to your family members. When the Qur'an says in Surah Luqman, وَإِنْ جَاهَذَاكَ عَلَىٰ أَن تُشْرِكَ بِي مَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِهِ عِلْمٌ فَلَا تُتِعْهُمَا وَصَاحِبُهُمَا فِي الدُّنْيَا مَعْرُوفًا That if they try to force you to kufr or shirk, ignore that part, but just continue to be a good son. Continue to be kind. Never did Islam say, break away from your family members, but the Qur'an did say, stand next to Allah with the message that you believe to be true. لَا طَاعَةَ لِمَخْلُوقٍ فِي مَعْصِيَةِ الْخَالِقِ as for the people that were calling foul, crying foul in, 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 in Mecca Mukarramah, saying that he's dividing families, guess who was actually doing it? They were the ones doing it. They just couldn't admit it. That they were the ones that were imprisoning people. They were the ones that were lashing people. They were the ones that were beating people. They were the ones that weren't happy for human beings to make their free choice to worship the Allah that created them. These were the oppressors. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa he educated these people, he mentored them. And the love that he, they had for him, it reached the center of their heart to a point, وَآثَرُوهُ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ They were willing to give preference to Rasulullah over themselves. They were willing to separate from their beloved ones and from their lands just to be in obedience of Rasulullah and this is a prophet who never took a class on writing or reading. Who never read the books of the philosophers that came before. People will continue to say that, you know, everything the prophet taught is supported by science. And what he is taught is supported by, you know, modern day psychology. You're reading his books, he never read yours, didn't have time. TLDR. Nabi Sallallahu didn't need to read their books, yeah? Whatever they were going to say, the khulasa of it was put in his heart by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore, when I said TLDR, I'm not joking. Utitu jawami al-kalim. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, I have been given concise speech. As for these philosophers, gol gol guma karke. They just spin in circles and circles and circles and what do they say? We don't know anything. That's a khulasa of human philosophy. 
They won't say it straight. To make sure you get a headache, they get a headache in the process. Right? Fountains of wisdom and concise speech was given to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right? So, Orientalists, what do they say? They can't accept that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was divinely granted this perspective and knowledge. They can't accept it. So what do they say? They say he must have plagiarized. They say the Muslims say he's unlettered, it's all a lie. He learned how to read and write secretly. So we say, Tika, tell us, when did this happen? You guys are making up the story, so you might as well make the whole thing up, right? If you're gonna, look, if you're gonna start making up a lie, what do you have to do, guys? You have to follow through on it. When we're driving sometimes, you know, on the road, my kids will point out something random and say, about make up a story. <laughs> Is there a game like this? Is there some kind of game? I don't know, my kids do it all the time. They point out something, about make up a story. So they pointed out a Nissan truck, said, make up a story. I said, Asal me kya hua tha? What actually happened was, Do bhaite, they were two brothers. Their dad said, make a story, make a car. The two sat together, they tried to make a car, they couldn't do it. They said, Abad nahi asan. Nahi asan in our language means, this isn't easy. So then Nisan ban gaya. Look, if you're going to make up a lie, you might as well. Follow through, make the whole kasa, man. Make up the whole story, backdrop, and put the whole thing together. So then you ask these guys, okay, Tika, you guys saying Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam plagiarized. Tell us, who did he plagiarize from? So they said, actually what happened was, astaghfirullah, tawbah, sharam. Astaghfirullah, there are limits to lying, and there are limits to fabricating. But they go this far, and I'm sharing this with you because of how absurd it is. Because of the absurdity. Now, non-Muslims who have never read Islam, Islamic history from Islamic resources, they, they soak this up. So you find people sharing these narratives on YouTube and on these uh, atheist uh, uh, chat boards. But as a Muslim, when I read it the first time, I was thinking, like, this is such a blatant lie that you don't even know where to. Where do I even start with this one? So they say that you Muslims accept that Nabi wasallam met Bahira al-Rahib. You guys know Bahira al-Rahib, the one Nabi wasallam met on the way to Sham? He was a very knowledgeable man. So they say, Astaghfirullah, Tawbah, Allah, Maafkara. They used to say that Rasulullah would go there, he would intoxicate him, steal his scrolls, and learn everything from there. It's like he's roofing the priest <laughs> for, for, for papers and for scrolls. That Nabi didn't learn to read or write. Where do you even start with that one? Like, I, you know the look that some of you guys have on your face? That's the look that I've had for years. Like, alright, alright then. Okay, what's next? What's next on the agenda? Let's move on to something else. Oh, we've gone too far, guys. It's got a little late in the evening. I apologize. Let me finish this up. Sorry. You know, I'm a little passionate on these things. Look, there, some folks are trying to detract from the fact that Rasulullah was the perfect role model. 
We Muslims are saying we won't concede one millimeter. They're saying, Yar, no, there was some garbadi there, someone came and taught him, and someone, you know, he was influenced by someone. What do we say? We won't concede one letter. Nabi wasallam was divinely inspired. He was taught by نَزَلَ بِهِ رُوحُ عَلَىٰ قَلْبِكَ The message came through Jibreel السلام, Where was the destination? عَلَىٰ عَلَىٰ قَلْبِكَ To your heart. That was the destination. <coughs> Therefore, if you look at it, the true complete teacher, the true complete educator, who didn't just come with one discipline or one methodology, is Rasulullah May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shower His uh, mercy on him and elevate his maqam. With that, we'll conclude today. Prepare that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts and grants us tawfiq. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.